Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, and Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Here in New Orleans, we have an ambivalent relationship with water. We built our city in the middle of it, but we can only live here because of pumps and levees that prevent the water all around us from literally swamping us. Meanwhile, the wetlands around us are being eroded at an alarming rate, so the coastal waters are swallowing up land and inevitably moving towards New Orleans. Although the prospect of the Garden District being oceanfront property in theory is quite attractive, in reality it would be the end of us. My guests on Out to Lunch today are both trying to stop that from happening. Webster Pierce Jr. is the inventor of a device called the Wave Robber. The Wave Robber looks like a giant cheese grater and works like a combination of a defensive lineman and a sieve. It stops a wave as it crashes ashore, robs it of its power to erode, and flipping the whole concept of erosion on its head, filters out the silt and dirt in the wave to create land. We had Webster on the show the day his invention won the $50,000 first prize in the 2013 Greater New Orleans Foundation Water Challenge at Idea Village. Webster, it's great to have you back and catch up with you. Uh, welcome to Out to Lunch. I, I assume you are now the most famous man in cutoff. Have well, you passed Bobby Bear? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> My other lunch guest is also making a welcome return appearance in the show, Dr. Sarah Mack is the founder, president, and CEO of Tierra Resources. What Sarah's company does is a little harder to explain than comparing it to a cheese grater, but it's also an award-winning technology. Tierra Resources won the American Carbon Registry's 2013 Innovation Award. Sarah's land-saving invention is a sophisticated business model that marries landowners and businesses to programs that give them financial benefit for contributing to the preservation and restoration of wetlands. Sarah, I'm sure you can explain it better than me, but welcome uh, back to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here again. And Sarah, two years ago when you were here, the methodology hadn't quite been approved yet and all, but now you're up and ready to roll. Well, we've made huge strides. So our, our methodology was certified by the American Carbon Registry. It was the first methodology to introduce wetlands as an area that business could invest into to offset their emissions. And let's try something kind of simple. Let's say I've got some acreage of wetlands down in Plaquemines Parish. You come to me and you, uh, you ask if, we wanna, if I want to restore those, those degraded wetlands, right? And then I get a, uh, a carbon credit for doing that? Sure. Well, wet, wetlands, they sequester carbon as they grow. So basically, any kind of plant, as it grows through photosynthesis, takes carbon dioxide out of the air, and the carbon gets stored in the plant, and with wetlands, it also gets stored in the soil. So what we do is we work with landowners or agencies, and we identify wetland restoration projects, and we help fund the wetland restoration project 
by selling the carbon credits or the carbon that gets stored in the wetland. Now, me as a landowner, I don't need carbon credits, but I can sell those credits to people who do need those credits. Yeah, right? or we actually help handle that process. So if you're a landowner and you have degraded wetlands, you can contact us and we come and determine whether your wetland area can be restored. We'll help restore the property, and then we'll help sell the credits to fund for the restoration of the property. And the buyers would be uh, what? The buyers, for example, yeah, like for example, if there's an industry that's emitting greenhouse gases into the air, like it's it's got a you know smokestack that's emitting greenhouse gases. Usually, what happens is they first look at their facility and they say, "Hey, can I change my facility to make it more efficient so it doesn't release those gases?" Sometimes it's super expensive. Sometimes it's just not possible. So because wetlands naturally take those same gases out of the air, they could instead invest into a wetland restoration project. Well, that is, now, now Webster, let's, I'm gonna cut to the chase with you. You've created a very simple device that you can demonstrate reverses the effect of our disappearing wetlands and actually creates land. You, you got a patent for it, you won the $50,000, but that should be small potatoes. The federal government's Restore Act directs billions of dollars to, coast, uh, to coastal restoration. The wave robber looks like it could be a major component in the solution to this massive problem, in which case you'll be a superstar and presumably a billionaire. How far, far along the track are you at this point? Well, we've just recently been awarded <coughs> through the Natural Resource Conservation Service the uh, <coughs> project of building 500 feet of units of which they're going to be testing the 500 feet against four, three other companies that has been selected throughout the United States to represent who can be the best. And as a result of three-year study, whoever's the best, there's a potential contract for 20 miles. Would be, they would award the first contract would be in that neighborhood. Now, that being said, the wave robber is rated number one out of the four. So it's ours to lose. Uh, my results on my testing on, that the University of Louisiana Lafayette is helping me with shows tremendous uh, advantages of the unit because what it does, it not only stops erosion, but it also helps rebuild that area. So in the event that you would use it and you would rebuild that area, you would use her device, her, her plants to put right. back in there, get credit for it. But then you could take my unit Take, uh, pump them out because it it's floats. You move them out further, you, you put them back in, into service and you start all over. So the unit cost is reduced by half. So every time you reuse it, so you, eventually that unit could cost you very little dollars for the amount of work it recovered. You know, I have to ask you what I think listeners are probably thinking of. You thought this up. Why didn't a big engineering firm think this up? Because you have to, you have to, develop it you have to go through the 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 situations i grew up as a on a farm i i know about levee construction i know about coastal erosion and i was given a gift i'm an inventor my family on my mother's side were inventors her two brothers were inventors so i have the gene <laughs> and i also have that what's called the desire to excel and to make it work. It's easy, like Edison used to say, inspiration is 1%, perspiration is 99%. So I'm, I'm not afraid of taking a bull by the horn and making him squeal. 
So I'm the top <laughs> guy that is not afraid of doing it. Why? And at this stage, I mean, you, you really want to see where this goes. I mean, somebody else might say, oh, I invented it. I'm going to sell it off to a big company. But you, you seem to want to no, no, hold on. No, I'll never do that because it's like a woman who is impregnated, has a, the, the, the baby develops in her, and she eventually has the baby, and now she delivers it, and she wants to see that baby come into fruition as a child, as an adult. Wow. I want to take this. I took it from a piece of paper that I was drawing, and I took it from inception to conception to fruition, and that's my whole goal. You're not in I, it for the money. No, I'm it? not in for the money. I'm in for the right reason. I'm the, I feel I have that gift. I have this opportunity, and shame on me if I don't take it and grow it and do what's right by it. I have the right motivation to make it go. Now, Sarah, your background, you're, you were... Uh... My background was actually in water and waste management. My PhD at a Tulane was uh, water management. And I started out working at the Storage and Water Board and did their emergency management and some of their long-term recovery planning. So after Katrina, I recognized that without securing our wetlands, there is moved, no future right. for New Orleans. And so I looked at discharging treated wastewater into buffering wetlands that protect New Orleans. And I looked at carbon as a way to fund that. You're so, so smart, and yet you just rode a bicycle to Commander's Palace. This I know, I how did. How down to earth can you I be? I was so embarrassed that you guys could see me out the window. <laughs> I thought I had that all hidden. <laughs> this is terrific to get the both of you together here. You know, this is the part of the show where we, we do the checklist, and it's where we ask a, take a little break and ask a question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. And I'm going to start out uh, with Webster and just ask, um, how much do you involve your family uh, in your business decisions, do you run things by the, uh, the yeah. homeland? Yes, uh, my family is very important to me. And because of that, all my decisions are made through discussions with my family and where does it go. So my family is a big part of my life. They're a good sounding board for you too? Yes, yes. That, that's terrific. And Sarah, I'll ask you a, a different question. When you were a child, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Were you that kid? Um, I guess not. I, I was going to say, it was like, my dad actually edits all of our proposals to this day. <laughs> he tries to retire and I won't let him. But, um, you know, my family were, were farmers as well. So there's definitely an entrepreneurial spirit because you're willing to take risks and you're a bit at the, uh, the, mercy. the mercy of the weather, yes. which I would yeah. say our projects are too. Yep. We just went down. So our, one of our pilots that we launched since the last time we were here is with ConocoPhillips. And it's a mangrove planting project that we're really excited to be working with Conoco. They're one of the largest wetland landowners in the nation. I saw that. I was surprised. They were 640,000 yes. acres. Yeah, yeah they, they just won an award actually from Lamoga. I guess in the last two weeks, they won the Pelican Award for some of their environmental stewardship, including the work they do with us. Well, sir, I got to ask you this because I recently went fishing and um, I, I fish here, but I fished with a buddy over in Florida and then got to see these mangroves up close. And um, they really seem to have held Florida together pretty well. Uh, is it indigenous to here or could it be? Or I mean, can you? So that's can what we're seeing happening is that those mangrove seeds called propagules they float. So over time, they've floated across the Gulf of Mexico, and they've started to take root along the southern edges of the coast because we're no longer seeing those hard freezes. 
So they've started to take root. And so what we're working with ConocoPhillips is, can we expedite some of that? Because their extensive root systems help hold the marsh together. And we also think they can grow vertically up at a rate that can counteract the sea level rise and the sinking. You know, there, we see these other projects that are more rock-based kind of uh, barriers that are being built, but yours has a special appeal. I mean, not only is it it's uh, lessening the power of the wave and, and keeping a portion of that sediment to rebuild land, but it floats up and down. Those rocks, uh, those rock solutions, I would imagine would just sink over time. Is that right? Well, <clears throat> in the project that we're working on, there's 20 feet of peak which means that if you put a rock today, tomorrow it's gone. So you're limited to the amount of weight you can expose. My device is designed to float and you can put the buoyancy you want in it. So, you, and the device is made where we can sink a base, create a vacuum where it anchors itself and then we build on top of it. So we can accommodate different depths of water. All depends on how deep it is. So we can do a lot of things and not worry about the environment that South Louisiana has, and that is soft marshes. Very seldom will you come uh, on an area that has a solid uh, bottom. So this is definitely an advantage to it. Wow, that is, that is terrific. You know, we're going to check our inbox, and that's where a producer picks a question that's come in from a listener over the past week. Oh boy, Grant, what have you got? We have a question for each of our guests today, Peter. Both of these came on Twitter. Webster, this is a question for you from Jennifer, who asks, how long does it take the wave robber to become established, and how does it withstand minor storms? On storms, <clears throat> because the way the units are developed, normally a storm would have high tides, which would go over it. So I don't see it being influenced by any real surges or anything of that nature. The water would so simply go over go the over device? It, and right, it wouldn't damage it. Well, there's... Okay, Sarah, here's an interesting question that I've never thought of from OK Awesome on Twitter, who asks, they say Louisiana loses a football field of land per hour. How long does it take to restore that much land? <laughs> I think it, it really depends on Tough the type math. of restoration technique. Yes. <clears throat> and it, I think it also depends on the permanence of that restoration technique. In some areas, we can pump sediment in and build some wetland, but unless we get the right vegetation, it's not going to grow vertically at a rate that's fast enough that as the region sinks and the sea levels rise, that project may only last for 20 to 40 years. Whereas other projects that tend to work with nature, like river diversions that use the power of the river and the sediments and the water, those tend to be more sustainable because you're working more with nature. Is it too little too late? Can, it's, can we still save the wetlands? I think it really depends on the area. I think, sadly, in some areas it is too little too late. And in other areas there's still potential and we need to act now. We have to act now. We can't not wait any longer. And we cannot put our heads in the sand and say it's going to go away because it's not going away unless we take the initiative to try to help our areas, we're gonna lose that fight. We have to take the fight to the situation and fight it as best we can with what we have. And now it's time to pay it forward 
where we ask our guests to generously use their experience and expertise to help an entrepreneur with a new business. Now today we're talking about a company called Nanofex, and Nanofex describes themselves as an aerosol-based process that uses sustainable sugarcane and waste crustacean shells to produce carbon microspheres for cleaning up contaminated soil and groundwater, and boy am I glad Sarah and Webster are here today, because left alone, I don't know what I would do with that. But I think, in simple English, what it means is that they use environmentally friendly and cheap material to clean up contaminated ground. The EPA says there's 300,000 contaminated sites in the country, so there's plenty of opportunity for Nanofex if they can get noticed. Uh, founder David Culpepper wrote us and says, what we most need is help with scaling up our process. We feel that there's a wealth of experienced process and mechanical engineers in the area who have the expertise to help us with the scale up. It would be great if a large company would become our strategic partner. We're willing to offer shares in the company to assist with the scale up. Uh, Sarah Webster, uh, where would you advise Nanofex to, to look for the right partner? Well, I'm pretty familiar with Nanofex because David's a friend of mine and he was the first winner of the water challenge. Oh, wow. Actually. Okay. If I were him, I would try to go to a large company that might have some large contamination issues. Even the, even the United States military has some large contamination sites. So to go to a large end user and see if they would be willing to pilot the project on a problem site of theirs might be a good way to get that started. Probably pretty good advice. Well, my, my expertise in this area is very limited because I'm struggling at, with the same problem he has. And I would hate to give him advice where, when really I'm looking for somebody to help me. So, <laughs> so we get the right advice, we should give it to Webster too? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> That's very interesting though, the idea of not getting a, another engineering partner, but, but, but getting an end user, that would be. Yes. We found that more successful, but it's, it's always one of the biggest challenges is piloting your invention and getting it to a point where it's really commercial. And if I were to have you back, and I'd love to have you back say three years from now, how would both of your organizations look different? I guess in three years you'll know how the, the, uh, the trial went, I guess. Yes, yes. If in three years I would anticipate that <clears throat> the supply and demand on my units after being proven that it works, <laughs> it, I won't be able to meet the demand because the units are large and they have to be molded. They have to be made in a mold. And it, <clears throat> right now if I was to go and get molds made. I could get one made that would cost me about 175,000. It's a rotation molding. And if you have one mold, you can only produce three a day if you go 12 hours. And if you go 24 hours, six a day. And when I'm talking about 16, 17,000 units from one project, there's, some, there's gonna be a short shortages of of oh, units. You're going to have to have that truck driver's coffee or something. You yes. stay up. That's yeah. going to be, uh, that's yeah. going to be amazing. And so, now yourself, three years from now, you think there's greater acceptance of the, the whole oh, yeah. uh, carbon? Absolutely. I'm hoping that within the next three years, we'll actually transact the first credits. I actually just drove back uh, from Hammond because we met with the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries. We've partnered with Ducks Unlimited. Shell has funded a feasibility study for a 15,000 acre area. Wow. wow. So hopefully, 
we'll be transacting credits within the next three years. Yes. Well, I'm definitely going to have you back. That's yeah, great. I know. Super That's exciting. Great, <laughs> I'm super excited. Wow. Yeah. And it's right by Mindorf, so we can stop for lunch oh, every see, time we're working on the, the catfish on the way out. <laughs> That's great. They, uh, Sarah Mack, Webster Pierce, a lot of what you guys are doing is challenging to, for us most, it's, Let's try that again. I'm sorry. The, uh, Sarah Mack, Webster Pierce, a lot of what you guys are doing is challenging to understand for most of us, uh, but it's absolutely vital to all of us. And I'm not technically authorized to speak on behalf of all New Orleanians, but I don't think anybody would object to me thanking you on behalf of all of us <coughs> who love living here and would like the future generations to be able to continue living here. Thank you for all that you're doing, and thank you for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thank Absolutely, you. my pleasure. Yes. It's been terrific. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Webster Pierce Jr. He's inventor of the Wave Robber and Sarah Max, CEO and president of Tierra Resources. To find out more about Sarah and Webster's groundbreaking and earth-saving work, follow the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The star-spangled Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Eris Studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, and Luba Workers' Comp.